Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance, and tonight I have Wendell. He is the solo hardcore hunter out of Indiana, and tonight we're going to talk about ethics, harassment. Uh, we're going to talk about is a very emotional 2020 11-point buck that he shot with a crossbow, and he's filmed from filming those hunts. We're, we're going to talk a lot of different things here, but... I think we he deserves a good introduction since this is the first time being on the podcast. So Wendell, why don't you go and introduce yourself and start us in the beginning? Like, what did you cut your teeth on? Was it whitetail? Was it um, squirrel, rabbit? You know that type of uh, layout. So this way, then people can get under who you are and then what what you where you started at and where you're at today from shooting that beautiful buck. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for having me and. Uh... I've been I've been in the outdoors since I was a little kid. My dad always took me squirrel hunting. You know, I, in our household and our family, you had to have a certain level of understanding of woodsmanship before mm-hmm. you whitetails or turkey. But I did everything I could with my dad. I mean, hunting, fishing, and as I got older, I'll never forget the first time. The first time I seen a wild whitetail out in the wilderness i was hooked i as a little kid all i ever wanted to do was i wanted to be on tv one day i wanted to have people see me filming myself kill deer that mm-hmm. was i knew that was my ultimate goal i kind of stopped hunting my dad actually passed away when i was 15 years old and i actually stopped hunting till i was about 18 and randomly a buddy was we were talking one night and we were talking about hunting. He didn't have nowhere to go. And I said, I, I guarantee you, I can figure out the way to the public land that I grew up as a kid cutting my teeth on. <laughs> and so we started hunting. Years go by, a lot of lessons learned on public land and trying to hunt deer a really, really hard way. And over the last three years, three or four years, you know, I started using the trail cameras. I took sun elimination to an extreme mm-hmm. to successful, get closer in on these whitetails. I know it took a lot of hard work. We on public land, we'd walk in two miles, backpack full of stuff, carrying your climber three hours before daylight to walk two miles, two and a half miles back, set up on good deer. And the last couple of years. I've just gotten better and smarter and I've just focused on key areas where I know I'm going to find whitetail. Yeah. I don't give up until I do. That's, that's fantastic right there. So you said you, your dad had expected a certain level of woodsmanship. What were some of the characteristics of that to be able to allow you, allow for him to allow you to move forward to the next either firearm or bow? Yeah. Number one, being able to walk in the woods to be able to point stuff out. You know, I, I think maybe I can remember when I was eight or nine and we were on a squirrel hunt and my dad said, I want you to lead the way. I want okay. you to show me what we're doing, what we're looking for. 
And we probably walked for 200 yards, and I'll never forget it. I look up and I see this squirrel running across this branch. And just instinct, I pulled up. I think I had a 410 at the time, single action. I pulled up. I shot that squirrel. My dad said, I think you're ready now. He knew that I knew how to walk. I knew how to be quiet. I knew how to pay attention to my surroundings above all else. Be aware of myself. Be aware of him. And that's where it went. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I used to have a, old, uh, a single shot 410. And then I got, my dad gave me a coast-to-coast -coast, uh, pump action 410. Out of all the calibers I own, that's one of my favorite ones from either it be a 12 or a 20. It's like the 410, it just hits home because I know how to work the right the, the firearm the way in my to work in my uh, to work in my favor, you know. And hunting in Iowa and going after small game, it's just there's nothing like using a 410 because you know you, you don't you have to be consistent, you have to be accurate. But the nice thing is that you have a little bit of a bigger pattern. So this way, then if you misjudge the distance, you have that little bit of a uh, help with the spread of the BBs. And then of course, learning not to bite into them so i've had my fair share of uh, not finding all the bbs and going from there now uh you said you you hunt public now has that been your entire career predominantly the last three years i was able to get a hold me and a buddy got a little section 11 acre plot mm -hmm. and i mean it's just really thick ravine with a creek in the middle of it okay and, go ahead oh no i was agreeing with you but up until this these last three years yes nothing but public i i spent from the time i was 18 until the time i was 28 i was archery only on public land mm -hmm. I two decent bucks i got a six point public land buck here an eight point public land buck here killed a lot of does on public land but yeah not until knowing what i know now like this year i still hunt the same public land it's just not nearly as much we drive to southern indiana it's about three hour drive but uh this year i actually had two big i mean 145 150 class eight pointer and a 10 pointer that i was watching on public land another I dealt with a little hunter harassment there this year, so I didn't go back, which now I'm kind of glad I didn't go back because I wouldn't have had the season I did. Yeah. If I would have went back on public land. Mm -hmm. I stopped at 11 acres and just kind of hunted it smart. I knew that 11 acres over the last three years or so, I've learned it so well. I know how to slip in very undetected and do everything right so i'm not spooking any deer i don't think i've actually spooked or had one deer blow at me on the 11 acres in about three or four years that's pretty impressive here i know um up until two years ago i was hunting private then then i moved and so then i was still to public but uh i knowing a piece of private land is 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 a, is a gift because you're able to do what you need to do to do it and it's like i've never spooked any deer but it's like 
I've always been, whenever I call, I'll, I'll have, I'm not paying attention to what direction I'm calling. They'll come right and beat the circle around me and they'll, they'll, they'll see me before I see them. So it's like, I know my set game has always been on point because I, I go to the extreme with it, like all year long, all of my stuff, I, I put them in air, air um, vacuum sealed bags. And then I put a little, those little um, discs in there that are uh, earth and have never been spelt. And then of course I, I, I try been playing around with different types of shampoos and conditions because we both wear beards so it's like you got to find something that's gonna, not going to dry out your beard and, and get you itchy and scratchy because you don't want to be sitting there scratching and and set send the wrong signal out and all of a sudden they they they, they they're aware of your your surroundings so it's like well there goes that but i know news nose jammer their um shampoo has been something that i've been using for the last two years and it worked really well I like theirs. It's an, it doesn't uh, dry out your scalp or create dry skin. So I felt um, like it, it did its purpose. And even their, their nose jammer spray works really well. But uh, when I was watching your video that you sent me, you just recently got cell cameras. And I've been running cell cameras now for about two years, two or three years. And they are absolutely a blessing because they work so well. And it does allow you to not to be going back into that, that land so consistently. Now you're able to check your phone look at it and then just go about your day how long you been running uh cellular cams actually this was my first year okay what did you happen to get what you pick up uh i had a buddy at work i don't know if you've ever heard of them i'll never go back to them but they were called creative xg 3g cellular camera i think by sim hero or something i mean they worked they worked i'm i'm just thinking it was a pretty old one and probably before it's time type of stuff and mm -hmm. i didn't really like it but i mean it, it served its purpose that's true i i lived not too far from tacticam and their trail camps have been really the absolute game to look they're a little they have a few more batteries that you that you normally used to but for a hundred dollar price point they produce some really good quality and there's not very many places that keep them in stock they sell out quick because oh, the price point is there and they work with every provider that you have so and the cool thing is like you don't have to get a if you you have to get a verizon phone verizon or at&t you got to find which one works better in your area and so and everything's a downloadable app so it doesn't really matter but it's nice to be able to have that this way then you're when you're when you finally have that opportunity to wake up in the morning you see that that buck walking by your camera i, like, I need to get going i need to get out there quick yeah I've been wanting some of them Tacticam reveals. I can't really find them here. And if you do find them, somebody will text you and say, hey, I found some here or at this Walmart. You'll go to get them and they're gone. Yeah. But after turkey season, I heard there's some good things coming out with them after the spring. And mm -hmm. it should be more easily accessible to get one. So after turkey season, best believe I'm getting me a couple. Right. I mean, uh, I am. Uh, I have a friend of mine. He's. I just got access to hunt some public land again. So, uh, private land. So I'm gonna. I have six cameras that are just collecting dust, and I'm gonna put them to work in the spring. This is where we kind of get a head count of all the deer, and they have uh, the. I got some moultries. I got some spy points, but uh, it's just something that will be able to work out pretty well because uh, we're gonna be. They also have a farm pond out there, so it just it's so it gives us an excuse to go out there and go go check them, but. Uh, having the pond out there to go get some good fishing it's always fun too because it's it's stocked with bass and crappie and bluegill so it's like it's just some really fun fish to catch uh and uh go from there now when i was watching your video you use a couple of different products and, and why do you use the the uh, the minerals 
Well, ultimately, I mean, we're all hunters, but like to me, to me, some of the most important pictures I see on my trail cameras mm-hmm. have to be healthy fawns. Mm-hmm. You know, I want my whole, if, if I'm focusing on one area, I want that one area to be the best that it could possibly be, mm-hmm. especially on the 11 acres. I mean, I, I don't, I don't put out like a lot of feed. It's mainly minerals. I feel like it's very important for deer, especially, you know, once it stops getting super cold, like late February, early March here, I'll start putting out minerals and I just want to be able to give back to the deer a little bit, you know, give them that little extra source of minerals and vitamins that might just help them, you know, push through after a rough winter. Valid. That, that, that's my thoughts process too, because I've been using minerals not for over a decade and the minerals is what allows them to have that, that strength because when, when they're growing these massive racks, especially like 11 point you shot, you, they need to, they need to pull that, um, those minerals from someplace from their bones. And sometimes that can affect their necks, their spines, their shoulder blades. So that, and so by having the extra uh, minerals there on those, those these the blocks or, or some type of a blend, that allows them to maintain and recuperate. So this way, when they're fighting and they're when they're and they're going after the, after post rest, after they get done rutting, so they need to go relax. Well, it allows them to rejuvenate or restore those the uh, depleted assets they that they store up during the whole rut. So this way, they're not going to be dying off because our winters can be brutal. You know, uh, we just got done with um, about two weeks ago. We had a three weeks. Uh, stretch where we our highs was zero maybe five here in wisconsin so you we need to make sure we provide them some way to to maintain that health especially with the fawns coming through because we want to keep them going because we've had some pretty mild winters we've had had some really deep cold where we haven't really had some a lot of snow so it's like but we still need to maintain that uh, the bounce this way they're going to be uh healthy and they're going to have a, a nice um offspring so this way it keeps the population going for up becoming hunters the tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end with previous sites we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape, and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger, uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow. 
And the Tetra is also available in three different sculpt housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. I agree, man. Now, uh, now I saw you use a crossbow. Now, did you suffer some type of an injury is why you use a crossbow? No, honestly, you know, I went, God, I don't know. From the time I was 18 to about 25, yeah, 27, something like that, I was archery only. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, I've watched a lot of big deer on public land. I've, a lot of, I've watched a lot of big deer walk in front of me at 60 yards with that bow. Mm -hmm. And once I finally achieved killing a couple deer, you know, a couple decent bucks with a compound, I just wanted to try to do different stuff to say I did different stuff. You know, I wanted to, okay. I wanted to kill a deer on the ground with a gun, no blind, no nothing, just sitting up against the tree with a gun. You know, I did that. My buddy convinced me I should get a crossbow. I shot his crossbow and I was like, yeah, I got to have one of those. <laughs> and so I got me a crossbow and <clears throat> I'm I'm on the fly sometimes. Like I'll go some years and I'm like, yep, I'm not gun hunting. I'm not gun hunting. I'm taking my bow. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm taking my bow. It's really how I feel. Like I think after the year that I had last year, mm -hmm. I want to spend this whole year nothing but compound. If it if I have to go into gun season, late gun season, I don't care. I just want to do it all with a bow. I'm not going to be picky this mm -hmm. year. I'm not trying to kill a 150 inch deer, you know. I'm going to try to hunt the biggest deer I could find, either on public or on the 11 acres, and I want to try to track him down. I got a 2009 PSC Whitetail Madness. Yeah. I killed my very first buck ever on public land with that bow. I want to do it again. Very cool. Now, because it's like I, I like I'm the same way you are too. It's like I used to gun hunt, accomplished some goals, gun hunting. So now it's like I switched to compounds. So I was like, I was kind of curious about what your take was on the compound or the crossbow because it's like I've there's been a lot of really cool innovations that are coming out and and such. And it's like you don't need the uh, the most expensive raven out there, but you just need something that's that you, that you feel confident to do the job. And it's like I just like think that like it'd be a fun challenge because it's like that's what we do as hunters. We look for the next best thing. And it, all the way down to traditional but that's that's a whole lifestyle in itself that takes a lot of uh, a lot of dedication and right now right now in my day, day i don't have the type of dedication that it deserves to be able to traditional hunt i'll tell you what if i kill a couple more bucks like the one i did this year i'll go traditional for a couple years i yeah. try it out yeah just because it's, it's just really expensive really fun because i have a buddy of mine in uh, osseo he's been hitting getting really consistent with his deer and such and so now he's he's upgraded himself to doing white uh white tail does with the traditional and so i'm assuming eventually he's going to get to that point but it's right now it's like he just wants to be the most he wants to he just wants to become uh with his schedule i think it's the most quickest way of doing it besides using the gun because he's, he's lethal behind the string when it comes down to it now uh since you have because i was kind of because you mentioned your bow is like an 09 so that's 11 years old and that's a so what have you done for maintenance on that to maintain it's at the the um without having it the, the limb snap on you 
honestly, I just, I take it in every year. I tell them to do, you know, oil it down, give it a full tune up and put new strings and cables on it every year. And, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've, I've beaten that thing around on public land. I mean, it's an old, it's a 2009 PSC. I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. PSC's mm-hmm. been around for a while. They make good stuff. Well, yeah, they have. Yeah, they do. They've been around 72 out of Tucson, Arizona. So there are, because these days, like, boas, you're, you're splitting hairs between each one for whether it be Darden, Hoyt, Matthews, uh, and even PSC. So it's like they're all badass bows. You just got to figure out what works for you with the harmonics because there's like, I've shot, I've shot the Botex and some of them, the way the, the vibration center back in the, in the brace, it just, it just, I just don't like it. It just it just doesn't work for me. But then again, I feel like if you're a new guy trying to get into, it, or if you just want a simple upgrade, you can buy 2015 or newer or newer. You you're splitting hairs, man. It's like early, like 2014 or older. You might find some different quarks in between all the bows, but man, it's like you can find it for really reasonable prices. Like I I, I bought that Elite uh, Impulse 31 brand new, and it's. It served me very well. It's, it's it fits me, and it's like I like the let off for it, and it works great. Now you can pick up that bow for four hundred bucks. I paid just over just under a thousand for it, brand new after taxes. So it's it's amazing how fast it is. And now after learning what I've learned over the last since twenty fifteen, it's like if I want to buy a nice uh, Matthews or a Hoyt, it's like I won't buy the, the 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 year it comes out. I'll wait a couple of years so this way the price drops on it because their their craftsmanship is so well thought out and the engineering behind it it's like you know if the person didn't beat the heck out of it and or if, they, if there's something wrong with limbs everything is replaceable everything is so it's like you know it's like if i can fix it i can find or if i can't fix it i'll find something that can for me i keep thinking i want to buy a new bow but every time i do i'm just like no there's a couple more left under this one man you, you gotta you gotta get a couple more under this one then you can get a new one Mm-hmm. Well, I was at uh, Expedition and I was at Anthem Archery in uh, Decorah. I was I sat down with um, Kurt Heddington from Expedition, and there was a guy that had an old bow, uh, probably like 1999, 1998, or something like that. And I drew it back, and it was it felt great. It's a heavy bow. It definitely had yeah. some weight to it, but boy, it's like he's still shooting to this day. So you know, if you take care of your equipment, you're splitting hairs, man. Yeah, that's one thing I learned as a kid, man. If you want something, you got to take care of it. You got to take mm-hmm. care of it. You want something that's going to last, you know, generations. Like my Remington 1100, it was my dad's and his uncle's. Okay. So I'm pretty sure it's like an early 70s model. Not sure how old my uh, my 1100 is, but it's a left-handed one. I think my dad bought it for my brother, but he he wasn't really into hunting. So I have it now, and so I'm uh, so I have this 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 beautiful shotgun. So. Then uh, what else do I have? I have is, is a Ruger 1022 from back from 1978. The only thing I've done is I've, I still have the original uh, stock for it, but I, I have it tucked away in a nice case. And, I, and then I, I put up to, upgraded to a synthetic and a couple of different Piccadilly rails on it. It's this way I just kind of have, it looks cool. It looks, and it, it just has a little more features for me to be a little more comfortable. Cause it's like, when you have long arms, when you have any type of rifle, you need to make sure it fits you. That's why um you spend that extra money on on the on the good quality stuff because all of us have learned if you're gonna go hunting you go fishing you don't you don't cheap out you, you may che- you can cheap out in the first few years but when you start make, when you start making those mistakes and you realize the most expensive uh fishing pole or bow you have is the cheapest one you bought right now now you're you're ta- you mentioned um 
hunter harassment. So what ended up happening in your situation? Well, so on the 11 acres, when we first got that property, you know, we'd come in there, we'd started, we immediately started doing work. I mean, there's, there's a small pond that butts up to one section of the 11 acres. We put probably 2,000 pounds of catfish in there. We knew other people were using it. We just wanted to be able to catch fish. So we put all these catfish in there. It was like the neighbors had a problem with it. They had they always had something to say and we could never do nothing right no matter how nice we were trying to be so <clears throat> after about after the first year i'm sitting in my tree stand one day and i see i see something start walking at the top of the hill and it's dnr okay what's going on mm-hmm. so this guy comes pulls me out of my tree stand Tells me, I need you to hand me your bow, your arrows. And he just starts grinding me about, are you allowed to be out here? Do you have written permission to be out here? And I want to see all the paperwork. So I got him all the paperwork. You know, he eventually let me hunt. And I kind of didn't go back for a couple months. I'm like, man, this is, you know, this is not what I expected when we we both got into this. And my buddy's Mm -hmm. like, we pay for this. We have every right to be here. We need to quit worrying about these people, how they're acting. And now when we have a problem, we need to call the police. So let's fast forward to the next year. So this is two years ago, roughly. Last year, 2019. This was when I started getting good pictures of the deer tank that I killed. Okay. And I'd started hunting and I I wouldn't be in my tree stand about an hour hour or two after daylight and these neighbors would release their dogs and 11 acres isn't a lot of property i mean a dog can cover 11 acres pretty quick i have video footage of dogs running deer right by my tree stand so i attempted to walk up to the guy's property and talk to him peacefully i said you know i'm not trying to be a young punk or nothing i'm not trying to tell you how to live your life but i just ask that if you see my truck over here you just presume that i'm hunting and don't let your dogs out so anytime i went out there dogs were coming out if they knew i'd slip in for an afternoon hunt they'd be out chainsawing making as much racket as they possibly could so i just stopped i just stopped hunting there we had a big we took two acres out of the 11. we worked for probably four weekends straight cleared it out and put in a sugar beet food plot Mm -hmm. i just left it and I was like, you know, I'm over this. I called the sheriff. I told him what had been going on. He comes out and he talks to the people. And he asked me, he said, is there a particular reason why you're hunting back here? I said, well, yes, sir. I said, there's this big 11 point deer that I've been after. And I'm just asking to be left alone while I'm over here hunting this big deer. So this sheriff tells me after he goes and talks to the guy, he calls me back and he tells me, he says, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this and I don't know if it'll be worth your trouble, but I, I know somebody killed that 11 point deer that you've been after. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was heartbroken. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't, I had put a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so I kind of just abandoned everything, went, went back to public land. You know, I, my mind wasn't there on public land. I let a few small bucks go. I really only wanted that one deer. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. So 
probably January of 2020, January, February, I was like, well, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to pull all my cameras. I'm going to pull all my tree stands and I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with this spot. Well, I do all that work, get all my stuff, bring it home. And I start going through pictures. I'm like, that's my deer. They told me, they told me in November that somebody had killed this deer. I got this deer on camera. I want to say December 31st. Okay. And after December 31st here, you have three days left of archery. Okay. So I knew I was like, nobody got that deer. I said, I'm going to try to kiss a lot of butt. I'm not going to talk to nobody unless I'm spoken to. And if somebody speaks to me, no matter how rude they are, I'm going to be nice. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, luckily I didn't have to actually talk to nobody. And so I started hunting. I killed three does on the 11 acres the first four weeks of season. Okay. Kind of left it alone for a little bit. And then once I realized from my trail camera, my cellular camera, mm-hmm. I started seeing chasing. I got in there and I was able to do what I don't think they thought I was going to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cause it's like when I saw you pull that trigger, the tactic cam footage, I mean, you, you did timed out just right. I wish the, the, you could zoom in a list a little bit further, but you know, you still got the picture of it. Like you get the, the, the vocalization of that you used and then describe the situation you were in, man. It's like, it's almost as if you're sitting in the stand next to you, man, because it's pretty, it's pretty uh, impressive because this guy right here, it took me, I, I saw him like what we, my wife and I saw him in 20. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 17 and 2016, he was only a five-pointer, two on one side and three on the other side. Well, then it, where I was hunting at, it required four on one side. Now it was a legal buck. And it's like we, my wife called him in uh, in 20, uh, 2017 and 2018. I called him right in. And I, wa- I watched him at 40 yards. It wasn't, it wasn't sure what it was because of what buck it was. I knew it was a buck, but I couldn't see what it was because it's about 80 yards out. And I managed to run him all the way into about 26 yards, and I finally got him. So I, I usually, once I find some, I, I like weird-looking racks. And I call him Captain Hook because he's got a, uh, if you can see it, right there. It goes, it just, it's like this. It goes like, just like that. 
And it, was, it was just a weird book. It's weird Buckley when they do that. So I was like, that's what, and like, if you look how big that neck is, he was the reason why I took it off. And once I shot him, I had about five or six more bucks all of a sudden you show up on my cans because he was the one that was causing all the problems. Right. And then uh, um, in 2019, uh, the, our our land our, the landlord he wouldn't let us hunt anymore because it's like it's not like you guys did anything wrong but we are i'm retiring and i don't want these guys bothering me anymore because he was work second shift so we hardly ever saw him so when they were bitching he didn't care it was like well right. you know it's like he wasn't around but he says like you know i'm retiring i don't want to listen to the bitchings because now i'm going to be home all the time so it's like I, I get it man it's like no worries no problem and so we so I've, I've been kind of keeping an eye on his on his piece of property to see if it ever comes up for sale because i'd love to come and scoop that up because it's like it's only it only set on five acres but it was a funnel to a much bigger area and it had, it had water there and it had food all the way around it so it's like you you, you can set right there in the middle of his five acres and it's and it's it's stretched like a river bottom or a creek bottom it's just nice and nice and deep and you can just set up on like a stadium seating and if you just position your stand just right, you can watch them walk right underneath you. And that's so especially how the eleven acres is. That's what I because that's what I kind of noticed. That's like it kind of remind me of my pro- old property because like it's nice because they like to funnel right down there, especially like when they're when they're rutting because it's 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 because I saw there's a lot of um, foliage there. There's a lot of thickness there, so that's where they yeah. can hide bed and go take it easy. But also when you get later in the season, like it's colder, they're gonna get they're gonna get back down there because this way they're away from that wind. And that's the biggest thing is like when. when when you're hunting on, on uh, in the Midwest here, where you have corn everywhere, but it's flat, you need to have some place where they're out of the wind, and that's usually where that's how you win. Is for especially late season or even uh, the second rut in, in December, late mid late December. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, um, when you hit me up regarding uh, uh, Bowman, it's like I didn't realize that was the Bowman you were talking to me when you when you mentioned because. When I posted when I posted the uh, the Bowman picture, I thought it was just another one because but it's like I was aware of the lot or the uh, yeah the case back in 2017 of them poaching and stuff like that and the deer the juries separated from them everybody just like spread like the Red Sea there and it's like man I was kind of hoping it wasn't the right same person but then after I saw that and reading the articles and I was like man it just it kind of gives um hunting a a black eye. But you know they 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 got their dues, they got what was coming to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a tough one for me to talk about it because they had success. I mean, the the stuff that they supposedly did, I just can never agree with it, and I could never support it. I mean, ethics have to be everything of what we are as the hunting community. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong, people make mistakes, but what they were doing, they knowingly were making mistakes, telling their fan base, oh, please stick with us, we did nothing wrong, and then it comes out a couple months later, they pled guilty to everything, Mm -hmm. and if there's ever, in my opinion, in my opinion, if there's ever an instance where DNR or the FBI, whoever it is, has to come and seize your mounts because they're illegal. Mm-hmm. Because of what you, oh man, that that's just so disgraceful. It's so yeah. disgraceful to the industry because we can't forget this. People started hunting for food. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole trophy hunting thing didn't really blow up until you know probably the seventies or eighties, from what I understand. Well, trophy hunting was was as an old term before, during after after the Civil War. 
because that's when people are coming and they're only tro- only hunting after the pelt or their mounts or their antlers. Like it wasn't until right. until later. Now it's like until until since the '70s and forward, the real trophy hunting is hunting. There is no there's no one or the other because it's right. like at the end of the day, you're still getting somewhat of a reward, whether it be food or whether it be the rack you're selling after, or you're just trying to cull a, a buck that no longer needs to be there. So like trophy hunting is, is a deadly term that's used by the anti-hunters and it's a tough thing to um to over it's, it's not a tough thing to overcome because it's all about the education and how well they're trying to spin because I, if you ever pay attention to the sportsman alliance you, you listen to a few of their podcasts like when they're on randy newberg and such and they'll talk about like their battles they have with them and they'll, they'll pick these random spots here they'll start chipping away at our rights as like one you can't bait then you can't use synthetic uh urine or, or your real urine and that all it is is just them picking away and winning and picking and picking right. and picking and not all dnr uh, agents hunt that's the biggest thing because then again there's not a lot of dnr agents out there so when it comes hunting season they're not able to hunt because there there's only maybe one or two per county if you're lucky for me i think as long as you're obeying the laws you know buying your tags and not doing anything knowingly illegal we all have that right to hunt we all have mm-hmm. that right to harvest our meat but even if you don't like the the laws and the rules and regulations you got to follow them mm-hmm. you know and that's just what they failed to do yes and it, it's a big black eye on the hunting community community it really is i mean there was a lot of good people who stood beside them even after there were some people who stood beside them when they were saying no we're guilty but as soon as they as soon as they pled guilty i imagine that changed a little i mean they still got their supporters and you know good on them i guess for for that but i mean i'll I'll never forget it i was a big fan of theirs and feel completely let let down Mm -hmm. that's why i've always been a long time fan of babe winkleman you know he's minnesota boy and he's always been true to whatever thing, whatever he's doing, whether he's hunting coyotes or doing pheasants with his daughters and some of that. It's like, I just kind of, that's who I grew up with throughout the late 80s and 90s and such. And it's like, even until this day, it's like he's he's one of the last people I ever I want to actually have a conversation with me because he's just the one to kind of really solidify my my appreciation for hunting because he the way he talks about and cooking, it's like he's a very inspirational kind of guy. And it's like the way he talks is just, it's just captivating because he keeps your attention through however long the conversation is because he's just chock full of knowledge and hunting all across the world it's like good for you man he's like you just put your uh nose down and you just kept on doing it. you followed the laws and everything else like that and you just got it done thank you man so, right i agree we're so what's going on for the for 2021 like where's your uh where's your mind at for the upcoming season well, number one is turkeys. Turkeys are coming up. Uh, just finished trapping season. Turkeys in a 47 days, something like that. Turkey Who's counting, goes. right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll be hunting 11 out of 19 days. Even even if I get lucky some miraculous way and get a bird early, there's a couple people I'd like to take out hunting. My lovely woman is going to be trying to go out with me for turkey hunting, whether she likes it or not. That's up to her, but mm-hmm. I got an old guy I work with who uh, hasn't had a chance to go out and turkey hunt the last couple of years. I'm definitely taking him out. Mm-hmm. My buddy who I first started hunting with when we were 18, 
I'd like to take him out. And all it takes is that first gobble, man. Yeah, exactly. Gobble, it's they're hooked. That is very true. I like I had um, Craig James on last spring's podcast. Man, he went from week one to week four. He filled the tag every single week, and then it's like then I had uh, big uh, John Morton from uh, Custom Jay's uh, calls there, and he makes uh, wing bone calls. But it's like, and the way he breaks it down, like the, the science behind everything is like it's just fantastic. And not knowing, like I didn't realize that's when you go out and when you're out turkey hunting, it's like you you have to have multiple calls it's like you have ones that will reach out to 80 100 yards plus and you have several calls that are in between all that range so this way you could be able to uh, capture it all because listen to some of these guys hunt and they're more experienced than i am and you are they're like they're they're it's like it's not common to call in a bird 400 yards away 500 yards away which is remarkable just to just to, you say the right sound and all of a sudden just come charging after you yeah for me, I live. I live it simple when I'm turkey hunting. If I can get him to gobble, I'm living on a prayer. We'll see what happens. Right. So now, when you go out turkey hunting, do you use shotgun, crossbow, bow? Well, I'm shotgun in the spring and crossbow or regular bow, depending in the fall. We have a. Mm-hmm. We only get one spring bearded bird in Indiana, and you get one fall bird of either sex. So. <clears throat> Yeah, it's the same thing. I think it's very common across different states too. It's like I know we're here in Wisconsin, in, in Iowa, and Minnesota that has the same same uh, uh, regulations to either sex in the uh, fall, one one beard in the spring. The nice thing is though, it's like even if you don't see a turkey in the fall, it's it's just nice to have that tick that uh, that uh, tag in your pocket. So if you do happen to pull one, you, you're you're going to be legal when you shoot it. But the best part is is that. Uh, if you, even if you don't shoot one, that money that you spend is still going to go back in the environment. Oh, yeah, I love I don't even consider ever like how people say they eat tags. I don't really necessarily eat tags. I just give a little bit of money to conservation. That's what I like to think. That's 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 a good way to look at it. And so now so you, after you got to after you shot tank, do you have anything on the on the trail cams that you're looking to see for this upcoming 21? Did. I watched a young deer last year. I'm I'm a stickler for big six pointers or you know big seven pointers, big nine pointers. And I've been watching. I've been watching this deer. I call him Hellboy for about two years, and he's just he's just a big six, and he just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So depending on what he does, I'd like to maybe see him see what he does. There's a big. There's a couple big eight pointers out there that could branch off. But I don't, I mean, they're out there. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to get back on public land this year, though, man. I mean, I want to get back on public land. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm only going to be this young for so long, you know. Maybe in 20, 30 years, I don't want to go out on public land and yeah. carry a climber and a bow. And uh-huh. but while I got the shot, I want to do it. Right. Now, have you looked into doing the saddle hunting? They're, they're pretty expensive rigs, but they're extremely lightweight you can get into all kinds of fun spots have you looked into those yet man i'm a really big guy and i am even though i'm a deer hunter and i climb 30 foot up in a tree i am deathly afraid of heights <laughs> and i got a big old climber and that's climbers and ladders that's where i feel comfortable 
Yeah, I got you. I, I like I like ground blind hunting. I liked being on the same level they are because I had this past season. I've had some really fun experiences with some does, and they're between five to eleven yards out. It's like because it's like you can see a figure, but they don't know what it is because I'm using nose jammer, and it, and it freaks them out. So it's like they, it's it makes for a definitely big challenge because there's one I the one doe I had a chance that I did draw back on and let the arrow fly. It took me 15 minutes to get it off the ground into my hand and then then another 15 minutes to be able to draw it back and i i did bring my my uh uh rangefinder out and my wife is just looking at me it's like you idiot so it's like yeah it happens it's like the funny thing is that my truck was only like 80 yards away it's like i could have even got it back out there and grabbed it but you know i thought it was a good enough shot to figure it out but you know it was a clean miss it's all mattered to me because it's like it, nothing worse than having a, a poor shot on a deer yeah usually man like on any public land i hunt I, I usually try to find the thickest, nastiest stuff you can imagine. Mm -hmm. We would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. When I'm out there hunting, I, I, I'm, it's so thick, I ain't, I ain't getting a ground blind in there. So I like to be elevated to where I can at least get some type of shot. I gotcha. I use uh, easy cut um, saws. And so if I find a nice little bush where it's like, it's like it has the right sculpting where I can get myself into it and then just have a, like a low lying chair or like just a tripod and I'll just kind of back myself into it and I'll cut myself a little um, arc into this way that hopefully I can I just measure everything out and get a nice draw and then go from there, especially if I'm doing preseason scouting. So this upcoming, uh, right now, everything's warming up. So I want to get out there. I've been moving all weekend, so I haven't had a chance to get out there yet, but I want to get out there and start walking around and, and figure out everything. Because now um, on in Wisconsin public lands, you can leave your, your uh, deer stand out there. So over over on all night or all year round. So, But the only thing is, is when it's out there, it kind of comes a, a common use public use to it so it's like well you know i'm just like but the nice thing is that anybody that's going to see a stand that's sitting there they're not going to damage it they're not going to risk somebody going flying out there and if the person's not going to be there it's like well it's, you, you have a you have a stand for the day yeah if i if i took a climber on public like if i'm out there mm -hmm. if i'm only out there for three days i carry it in on day one morning one and i carry it out on the very last evening okay. i don't I don't feel comfortable leaving anything on public land in Indiana. And like when I set cameras on public land, I actually buy, I buy those like $33 trail cameras off eBay. Mm -hmm. I'll just put those out on public land. I'll run like eight or nine of those. Yeah. And I did, I did watch one guy really actually quite, quite intelligent that he did is that he got um, like, he did the same thing. He got, got a, a mid range, but cheap, uh, camera. Then what he did is he took tape, masking tape, covered all the lenses up and the, and everything. And then he took it and then he pretty much sprayed it with glue, like the spray on glue. And then he just took some uh, debris and some leaves and just dropped it on top of it. So this way, then it creates that natural blend. And then he just positions the camera up and and up and higher up. So this way, then you can't really this is going to catch off guard. Or you're not going to be able. You're not some. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to really necessarily see it, but kind of keep it all blended. I was like, that's actually pretty smart for public land hiding. I've never, had, I've never actually had a camera stolen off public land. I've only been running camera about three, four years. But Okay. Knock on wood. Yeah, I know. I'm doing pretty good. But like I say, I like, to, I like to think that 
where I go on public land, I'd like to think nobody else is going there. Yeah, that's 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 a good idea to keep the train of thought. Like, I've never lost, I've never had a trail cam stolen or uh, anything like that, but it's like I've had them broken because I'll have a, I'll put them right on the wrong wrong height, and all of a sudden I'll I'll, I'll have a, pictures of a cow coming up, and then I come on check it, it's like I look at the pictures, it's all destroyed because you decided to use it as a scratch post. It's like if I have a, a good spot where like the deer come and funnel, but it's like, well, I did put it up high enough because now it's cracked and destroyed. So it's like, well, uh, that, those are those are on uh, pawn store uh, uh, trail cams anyway. It's cheap, easy to replace. So that's so that's where I, that's how I started getting into trail cams. I started using them as I went to the pawn uh, pawn shops and picked them up there for uh, thirty to fifty bucks depending on the man on the model. Heck yeah. And so, what are some of the best ways to get a hold of you, Wydell? Well, I'm I'm on YouTube. Just type in Solo Hardcore Hunter, all one word. I'm on Instagram, Solo Hardcore Hunter, all one word. Need anything? Hit me up. I'll be willing to answer any questions. Help out any way I can. That's fantastic, man. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. This was a fun conversation. We we had some really good fun topics here. So. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the podcast. And thank you for uh, coming on as well, Mr. Solo Hardcore Hunter. Hey, thank you. You're welcome.